Okay, hey, how's it going, everybody? Hey, I'm glad to see you guys here. Glad you sat. I don't know if I told you. I did tell you to take, take a seat. But hey, while you are getting settled, uh, I have a question for you guys. And the question is this. Have you ever known someone... Have you ever had someone in your life who, who you have been particularly close to, that, that you felt like you really knew, you, you really felt like you had a relationship with, you, you trusted them, you relied on them? And you did that until at some point you realize they betray you, they, they lack your trust, they, they somehow lose that. Have you ever had somebody in your life like that? Well, for me, the, that person is Scabbers. And if you don't know who Scabbers is, it's okay. I'm honestly kind of impressed that you don't know. But I am talking about Ron Weasley's rat from the Harry Potter books. And while you guys look at this rat, I'm going to grab my notes. I'm going to grab this music stand right here. But I'm going to tell you about this rat. See, I love this rat. I love Scabbers. I always have. He has been... For books and books, he has been this family pet of the Ron Weasley family, okay? He's this old, lame, crusty rat that in, in the books, they describe him as like always asleep. He, he's always running away. That's just who he is. He's got this nasty fur. He's pretty lame. Like he doesn't do anything, honestly. He has no cool tricks. He's kind of useless. But I loved him because from the Weasley's perspective, he was this quirky, weird, but fun, sweet pet, until he wasn't, right? If you know the story, you know that actually Scabbers is Peter Pettigrew, okay? He's, he's in uh, Animagus, I think is what it's called. It's a person that can turn into an animal. It's like wizard stuff, so don't worry about it. But in the third book, in The Prisoner of Azkaban, what happens is we find out that Peter Pettigrew, he's actually the one who has betrayed Harry's parents. He's the one who gets them killed eventually. And later we find out in, I think, the fourth book, I can't remember, that he's the one who helps Voldemort come back. And so this is not a good dude. And if I just spoiled a bunch, honestly, I'm very sorry, but you had a long time, and I don't know how you didn't know that. But anyway, this blew my mind when I was 13. Like, it actually flipped my world upside down as I was reading Harry Potter because I had spent three books loving this rat. Like absolutely just having adoration for this weird quirky pet. But, but really what had happened is he became somebody completely different. He, he was, in my mind, something, and then he was someone completely different, and it totally changed, like, my perspective of kind of the books in general, but for sure, how I thought of Scabbers leading all the way up to that. I thought I had known him, but then this, this rat lost my trust. He broke my trust, and suddenly, he was a completely different person, and I had a completely different perspective of the whole story leading up to it. So I get it, that's, that's a little bit of a dramatic example, right? A fictional rat as someone who lost your trust. I get it. But, but tonight, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at some verses that we've been looking at for weeks, but we're gonna look at the back half of these verses in Exodus 34, and we're gonna see that there is something kind of surprising in these verses. We'll see that we have been talking about verses 6 and 7 of Exodus 
34 for, for weeks on end. And, and when we read it, some of the weeks we get to this point, this particular line, and we say, hey, don't worry about it. We know it's intense. We'll get to it. We'll explain it in a couple weeks. And as it turns out, I am the lucky one who gets to explain this verse to you tonight. So let's just jump in. Let's read Exodus 34 one more time. Well, we have a couple more times, but let's read it again, okay? And we're just gonna look at these verses. Exodus 34, six to seven. It says, and he passed in front of Moses, Yahweh did, proclaiming Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, for me, at first glance, this last line right here, what it does is it kind of gives me like a scabbard situation, just a little bit, just at first. Because for five weeks now, we've been picking apart these verses. We've been going word by word, and we've been unpacking them to get to know who Yahweh is. And I feel like we've had a pretty good thing going with Yahweh. Like, we've learned that he's compassionate, that he delights in us, that, that he gives us his affection, his care. We've heard about how he's slow to anger and how he's not upset with us or disappointed in us, withdrawn. No, he is gentle and patient and kind. And we've looked at his abounding faithfulness. We've learned that he's never gonna leave us. He's not gonna abandon us. No, he is committed to loving us. So then in verse seven, what does it say? Well, it says that he's going to punish the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Huh? Why? Why on earth would a description of Yahweh take this kind of direction? Why would it go that way? That doesn't sound like the Yahweh that we've been getting to know. And it makes us ask, like, wait, do we really know the real Yahweh? Makes us doubt, maybe. Start to doubt and, and ask, gosh, does this change what we have read about him in, in the verse leading up to this? Like, can we really trust who he says he is if this is here? Or does that break our trust? Well, I think it depends. It might. It might not, but it depends on what that last sentence means right there. If it means that God holds grudges and that he punishes people for sins that they did not commit, like sins of their parents and their grandparents, then yeah, I think that might look a little contradictory to what we have seen of Yahweh so far. It doesn't line up with things like his compassion and his mercy, his faithfulness, his grace. But I, don't, I don't think that's what that verse means. I don't think that's how Yahweh is. I don't think that's how he works. He's not like uh, Madame Zeroni. If anybody's with me on this, it's from a movie, old movie called Holes. And this is a woman who puts a curse on an entire family, the Yelnats family. Why? Well, because of their no good, dirty, rotten, pig-stealing grandfather. 
I don't know if anybody is tracking with me. That's a way more obscure reference than Harry Potter, but some of you might know what I'm talking about. It's a fantastic movie. But I don't think, I don't think that's God. I don't think God is like that. Let, that's not him, right? He, he isn't one to punish people for sins that aren't theirs. He's not gonna smite us for our ancestors' mess-ups. That's not who he is. He doesn't he, he doesn't punish us for the specific sins of our parents. And we know that because it says so in other verses in the Bible. It talks about how we are not accountable to the sins of our parents. So look at, look at a verse like Deuteronomy 24, verse 16. It says, parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sins. Okay, so that's still kind of intense. I I know it is. But what I want us to notice, what I want us to focus on in this verse is that God does not punish people for their family's sins. You and I, we're not held accountable for like the sin of our dad or our great, great grandmother. No, no, we're held accountable for our own sins, for the ways that we rebel against God. But, But then... If that's the case, then what does this verse mean? Well, it means that parents' sin, it has consequences for their kids. Like when a parent sin, it's going to impact their children. Here's just an example, okay? Like totally hypothetical, but what if we saw two parents who were addicted to drugs and, and they commit a serious crime and they get caught and then they go to prison. And let's say that there are not family members who can then take care of their two kids. And so what happens is those two kids get put into foster care. And sometimes, often, the foster care system is great. It's awesome, but sometimes it's just not. Sometimes kids get put into homes with no stability, no safety. They're passed from house to house. And then when they turn 18, sometimes they are put out on their own and they don't have anyone to look out for them. They don't have any resources. They don't have anyone to care. And that, that makes someone way more susceptible to themselves, these kids, to things like drug abuse and and committing crimes themselves. So, so the picture I'm trying to paint is that parents, their sin, it's going to have an impact on kids. And sometimes what happens is it starts a, a, a pattern. It starts what we could call generational sin that gets passed down. Sin, it has this habit of creating tendencies or, or patterns, behaviors, dispositions that can run in families. And in sin, it creates like cycles, feedback loops, where it runs, trickles down through generation after generation. And Exodus 34, it is telling us that God is not content to let that sin run rampant through generations. He deals with sin. He can't just let it have free reign. He won't let the guilt and the consequence of sin go unpunished. Which actually 
is kind of in line. It is in line. It's what we've heard about God so far. If you were here a couple weeks ago, you might remember that we talked about God when he is slow to anger. That means that he actually wouldn't be a good God if he didn't get angry at sin. Like he can't let sin just reign, go, go free. Like that wouldn't be a good, loving God. It is out of his love for us that he punishes sin. But if you've been around Veritas for a little bit, you may have heard us say that the problem with sin is that it's, it's not just an out there problem. Like sin isn't just in the people around us, right? No, the, the issue is that sin is within us too. Each of us have a sin problem. Each of us have a tendency to turn away from God, to rebel against the design that he has made for our lives, and we do it with our thoughts, our actions, our words, you name it. We're part of the problem. We need a solution. And so sometimes for us, like our solution to sin is just to pretend it's not there. We just ignore it. We live like Glennon Doyle. She's a popular motivational author, and she says this. She writes this. The only thing that was ever wrong with me was my belief that there was something wrong with me. See, we can convince ourselves that we're not that bad, that honestly sin is not that big of a deal in our lives, but I can tell you, I can tell you from my own experience, in high school, when I lived like I pretended like sin was not a thing for me, that I could do whatever I wanted. Man, it did not go well. The, the shame, the guilt of the sin that I was living it in, it always caught up with me. It always did. I don't know, maybe you guys feel that too. Maybe you've felt that in the past. Maybe you're feeling that right now, but you know from experience that deep down, we just, we can't ignore sin not possible. It's always going to catch up with us. So if we can't ignore it, then our next solution is usually let's just avoid it. And what I mean by that is we just try to do good, to be good. We think if we can just be the best we can, if we can just do enough good, if we can be good enough, then we can avoid the feeling of shame, avoid the feeling of guilt that sin brings. But again, if you have tried that, like if you have tried to be the most helpful and the most generous and just the most kind, you know it is exhausting. There's no winning. Like there is no amount of good that we can do that frees us from the problem of sin. Sin, it is a problem that we can't fix we, we can't fix it. We can't pretend it doesn't exist. We can't just work our way out of it, but it has to be dealt with. We are guilty of sin. That is the sobering reality that we live in. We are part of the problem. We are guilty of sin, and God is a God who can't let the guilty go unpunished. He can't let it reign free. 
That, that is not an option. If he is who he says he is, then he has to do something about it. So on one hand, he is a God who is compassionate and merciful and faithful to us. And on the other hand, he's also a God who is just and righteous and he stands against evil. So what does he do? Like, what does he do if he is going to punish sin but also be compassionate and merciful and faithful to his people? What is his solution? Well, the, the good news of the Bible, the, the gospel, is that God has placed himself in our position. He has put himself in our place to take that punishment for us. He takes the punishment of sin upon himself. Look at the opening chapter of the Gospel of John. I just, I love the way that this chapter starts. It says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, so the Word is a he, he is God, but he's also with God, this figure. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, through the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. The word, God, God himself became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. See this word, God's own Son, God himself, is Jesus. Is Jesus. What God did is he put himself in his own creation, in human form. In human form, Jesus, he is Yahweh, become human. And maybe that's not new information for you, but, but it is insane. It's incredible. It's amazing that God has done this. The God of creation, who is above all things, he is the God above all gods, he's the name above all names, he holds life itself in his hands. He chose to become human, to be with us. That's amazing. That's incredible. See, in Jesus, we see the embodiment of Yahweh himself. So Yahweh, he puts himself in our place. Why? He becomes a human. Why? So that he can take on the punishment of the sin that we have, the punishment that we deserve, and he puts it on himself. So 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, to take on our sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might be forgiven. Or Ephesians 1, 7, it, it says, in him we have redemption. We've been brought back to God in a relationship with him through Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Yahweh, he went to die on the cross on our behalf. Yahweh rose again to conquer the punishment of sin so that we could have forgiveness. That's his solution to sin. That's amazing. Again, it might not be new stuff for us. 
but it is really kind of earth shattering when we actually think about what is happening. Jesus's forgiveness of sins, like that is the most clear picture that we will get of who Yahweh is. That, that's the most, his death and resurrection, that's the most clear image we have of what Yahweh is like. This is where Yahweh, he is on display for the entire world to see and his forgiveness is available to everyone to be known and to be received. That's amazing. See, when Jesus forgives, see what he does is he forgives all of it. Like there are no catches, there's no exclusions, no fine print, he forgives all of our sin. We almost brushed past it at the beginning here, but let's go back to Exodus 34, seven and, and see that it says he is forgiving. Yahweh is forgiving of wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And what's interesting is those three words, wickedness, rebellion, and sin, they're like the three most popular words in the Hebrew Bible for kind of the summation of human depravity, right? So, so we see that wickedness, first, that's just a word that kind of is like any bad, evil, perverse behavior. But then rebellion is a legal word. It means to like break the law. It's a violation. It's a crime. And, and sin means failure, okay? It means to miss the mark. But, but specifically, it means to miss the mark on what God has defined as right living for us. So when you put those three words together, what you see is, is that Yahweh is creating a catch-all. He's saying there's nothing outside of this. This is the whole spectrum of human depravity, and he forgives all of it. It's all there. No matter what our sin looks like, Yahweh forgives. There's nothing you can do, nothing you can be that would put you out of his realm of forgiveness. When we choose to follow him, he is eager to forgive. So the question is, do we choose to follow him? Are we going to follow Yahweh? Like, are we gonna stop ignoring our sin and, and stop avoiding it, trying to do better? Are we willing to acknowledge that we cannot fix our own sin? We can't fix the problem. We need Jesus's forgiveness. Are we gonna turn away from our sin and turn to him instead? See, I, I wanna stop for a second and just talk to the people in this room who wouldn't call themselves a Christian. Like if you're here tonight and you don't know what you believe, I'm really glad you're here. So glad you're here. And I just wanna be really clear, God is inviting you. He's offering you an invitation to accept forgiveness. Like you can, if you want to, at any time, accept this invitation of forgiveness that he has for you. Nothing is holding you back. If you want to, you can have your sin forgiven. The, the guilt and the shame that you might feel over it, that, that punishment, it is taken away and it's gone for good. You can do that. Jesus offers us forgiveness. He, he is not withholding. We can do that at any time. We can say yes to Jesus at any time. And so I just wanna say, maybe, I don't know, maybe tonight is the night for you. 
Maybe not, that's okay. But if it is, and you just want someone to talk to you about that, then come find a staff member. Or come find a, a volunteer, a Veritas volunteer. Heck, even just find a stranger. Like, I think anybody in here might be excited to encourage you in that decision. Okay, now for the people in this room who, who you have decided to follow Jesus, you want to live for him. For you guys, I just want to remind you. I want to remind you that receiving God's forgiveness, that is an ongoing thing. It's not a one and done decision. It's something that we continue to receive. And in the reality, the reason for that is, is that in this world, we know that our sins have been forgiven, but we just still, sin still pops up in our life. We still have to fight it. We, we have to fight it. Just because Jesus paid our sins, it doesn't mean that it's not a, a big deal. It actually makes it a much bigger deal. Like, when we understand what Jesus gave us, what he forgave, it should make us quicker to, to turn away from sin and instead turn back to the forgiveness that we already have in him. But if you're here tonight and you're just feeling stuck in a sin, like, you feel like you're spinning out, you're not really sure if God will truly forgive the thing that you are in right now, then I just wanna give you, like, a short practical tool that's been really helpful to me lately. Our staff team, we've been reading a book uh, by Paul David Tripp. I think I've talked about him before. I love him as an author. Uh, but he talks about, he gives us a format for what it looks like to, to fight sin, to pursue forgiveness. And so it's really simple. It's nothing complex, but I just want to give it to you because I think it's great. So here it is. If you're looking to seek Yahweh's forgiveness, if you're, if you're wanting to fight sin, first, he says, just take time to consider. So like in a, just a quiet moment of your day, whether that's the beginning, the end, you're walking to your next class, you're stuck in a drive-thru, I don't know what it is, just take a second to reflect and, and ask yourself, okay, where did sin pop up today? Like, like, where did I fail to love God, love others? Where did I turn away from God? And then next, go ahead and just talk to God about that. Confess that to him. Acknowledge to him that sin. I mean, he knows it, right? He saw it. But when we acknowledge that sin to God, we remind ourselves that we have been forgiven, that the punishment of our sin is gone, and then third, we, we gotta commit. So you can ask yourself, what is God practically calling you to commit to in, in order to live out his commands, to obey him, to love him and follow him? Like what kind of heart posture would you maybe need? Or, or what kind of truth do you need to really root yourself in? And then finally, change. And I don't mean that flippantly, I, I, I mean Think about how you would need to live your life each and every day to actually change these things. What would need to change? Whether it's our habits, our words, our actions, our disciplines. What would need to change if we really want to follow Jesus and, and pursue his forgiveness? And what's our strategy for doing that? I don't know, this week, try that out, practice that. But if you do, don't forget, please don't forget as you do this, that this power to do this, it doesn't come from your own strength. 
It doesn't. We cannot fix our sin problem. God is the one who has done that for us. In his compassion, in his grace, in his abounding love, he has paid the punishment of sin. He's freed us from sin. He's offered us this invitation. And so he gives us the power to fight sin. That is his solution. That is the power of forgiveness. Okay, as the, as the music team comes back up, I just, I wanna say this. Next week is gonna be our last week in this series. I've personally loved this series. It's been so good for me. And so next week, we're gonna spend one more week looking at who Yahweh is, what he's like, and we're gonna see how we should respond, what that means for us. But this whole series, the goal has been to make Yahweh's name known. Like the goal has been that more and more we would be people who know him and love him and follow him. Week by week, we have talked about who he is. We have talked about what he is like, what he's done, and it all culminates here in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. So see, we can be confident. We can know that he is who he says he is, that it is trustworthy and true. We can know that Yahweh is who he says he is, what he says about himself in Exodus 34. It is true because we have the forgiveness and the proof of what Jesus has done. Let me pray. Jesus, I pray that we don't take your forgiveness for granted. Pray that we know what you have done for us, that we feel the magnitude of the weight of sin being taken from us, being placed on your shoulders in your choice to come as a human, to be with us, to dwell with us. We thank you for the freedom that you offer in that and we pray that we would live that out not in our own strength, not trying to be better, not trying to ignore the sin in our life, but in a way that acknowledges that you have the only solution. You offer us that invitation, and so I pray that we would receive it, either for the first time or for the hundredth time. I pray that we would continue to know and love your forgiveness. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.